good. Cool. <laughs> yeah, um, just lovely to be here again. It has been a good week with lots of birthday and cake. can always be good when you've got lots of cake, eh? Come on. So, um, been lots of cake and, and really good stuff happening this week. But <clears throat> I really just want to, want to share a message that, uh, actually, I, I read the verse in, in January already and just just nailed me. I was like, dude, this is, we've we got to dig here. So it's been a, it's been a couple of months of, of, of really just digging into the, this question, this ultimate question of the, the, the cookie challenge, actually. But um, we've really just been a, a, a challenge in my own life to, to, to grapple in here and, and dig into it. And I really, really hope that um, we can just catch the heart of God behind, behind this, this message today. Um, yeah, it's always a, a blessing to be here and to share God's Word. And someone said to me earlier, are you ready? Actually, last night, someone said, I hope it goes well. I said, you know what? It doesn't matter how it goes. I've been so blessed preparing and digging in here that uh, I've had a good time. And I hope you, hope you really are just, just blessed as we, as we tackle this, this problem. So right from the earliest stages in life, we are faced with the cookie challenge. You know the cookie challenge? Moms bake the cookies. They're warm. Chocolate chip cookies. They're on the table. But they're for when granny and grandpa and auntie and uncle come visit later on. You may not have one of those cookies just yet. But you want one of those cookies right now. You need one of those cookies right now. You're desperate for a cookie right now. And how do we say no? How do we say no? That's the cookie challenge. That's the first one you've faced. In the teen years, it's do we throw the eggs on the house? Yes or no? Do we tease the little funny nerdy guy? Because he is a funny nerdy guy. Yes or no? As you get older then, or these days, we now have the cell phone challenge. Do I look at that one? Yes or no? And right throughout life, as we get older, do you fill in that extra thing on the tax return? Yes or no? That guy really irritates me. He deserved to be called a half-brained ticklehead. Do I say it? Yes or no? We're continuously faced with the challenge of doing the right thing. Saying no to godlessness, no to evil, saying no to the wrong thing. But not just that, saying also saying yes to the right things. Saying yes to, I'm going to go to that thing at church, even though it doesn't feel like it and it's just a bad time. Yes to sharing what you've got. Yes to being generous. Yes to giving abundantly, even when things are tight. How do we make the right choices to say yes to godliness and no to sinfulness? I want to read a couple of passages, two passages, that, uh, and I'll start with the one that really just, just got me, absolutely blew the socks off me in, uh, when I first read it. Titus chapter 2, 
from verse 11, and we'll read a whole big chunk, and then we'll go to 1 Peter, and we'll, and we'll read a big chunk. So, so just read with me. For the grace of God, this is Paul writing to his friend Titus, who was a pastor, and he's, he's teaching them what, he was telling him what he must teach. The older people, the younger people, the grannies, the grandpas, he's going through this. And then he gets to this, he sums it all up. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I was like, it's as clear as mud. He has the answer. We just got to figure it out. But the answer is, we can say no to ungodliness and no to worldly pleasures. And, no, and we can live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's today. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things we should teach, encourage and rebuke with all, in, with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and their authorities and to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, to be considerate, to show humility towards all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved in all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But then, the kindness of God and the love the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs with heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Wow! That is just good stuff. We read that every morning, and then we'll, I'm sure we'll live much better lives. 1 Peter. This is now Peter writing to the church. 1 Peter, starting in verse, uh, chapter 1 from verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Hey, that's us. Yeah, we do this. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what I want. We are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Then he jumps down to verse 13. And he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And as obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Man, we need some help here, Jesus. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But it was with the precious blood of Christ Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. But he has now been revealed in his last times for your sake. So, let's do this thing. The cookie challenge. Life. How do we live well? How do we say yes to godliness and no to unrighteousness? I want to start with the question of, why must I be holy? Why should I do this? You know, you're saying I have to say no to all those kiff things, and I have to say yes to doing what God wants. Why? Well, the simple, the easiest, quickest answer is because the Bible tells us so. We read there in Peter, be holy because God is holy. God says, this is my way, and I'm saying to you as my children, this is what you need to do. So firstly, we, we need to be holy simply because God says it. If you want to argue with God, you go right ahead. I'm not going to. I'm going to listen to what my God and my King, the creator of this universe, has said is the best way of doing things. But not only that, we should choose righteousness and say no to evil because that's who we are. As believers, we are God's children. And so we need to reflect His character for His glory. We need to practice like when we're going to get to heaven. So we need to be living according to our, our identity as children of God. And then thirdly, we need to, and, and Titus 3 says that um, we need to, re, uh, let's just read it because it's just so good. Titus 3, 3 to 5, it says, at one time you were foolish and we lived in all these passions, um, but now God has, but the kindness has appeared to God, sorry, and he has saved us and, it, and so we are called to be his children. And so when we are called to be his children, that's how we're going to live. We're going to live out the character of our God. And the third reason why we would choose to be holy is because it actually makes us happy. You see, when we are obedient, when we do God's things, we reflect his character. And God is in his character. God is love. God is kind. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is good. He is those things. And when you live those things, then God is reflected in your life and you see God. And when you see God, you are delighted because God is delightful. That is just the way it is. When we live right, God blesses us with His presence because He is in who He is. It's not we're just doing things, but God lives in those things. And so we are obedient, one, because God has said we should, two, because it's our, 
we are His children, we should be reflecting His character. But most importantly, and we're going to come back to this, is because when we live right, it makes us happy because we see and experience God. So, let's go back to Titus. And we say, so, how do I live holy? Yes, I should be living holy life, a holy life. I should be living well. I should be living righteously. I should be making good decisions. How do I go about doing this? Because it's not easy. I don't get it right. The cookie challenge, I sometimes fail. The cell phone challenge, I sometimes fail. The driver in front of me, I fail. Okay? So how can I live better so that I don't keep failing? How can I constantly and better make better choices? So this is a verse that, that absolutely just stunned me. Titus 3, 2 verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's the grace of God that teaches us to live right. So what is the grace of God? Well, he tells us here, the grace of God that brings salvation, that has appeared to all men. It's the cross of Christ. Jesus dying on the cross is the ultimate display of God's grace. And he goes on to explain what the cross of Christ is. He says, while we were, it, it's not about um, when we were still sinners, we were foolish, disobedient in chapter 3, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, but then the kindness and love of God appeared, and He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy and His grace. You see, God's grace reaches out to us while we are still sinners. While you are, we, while the world and us were enemies of God, our backs were turned to God. We were slapping God in the face in, as He revealed His goodness in creation, people were still turning away. And in the face of that evil, God reaches out to mankind. And He does for mankind what mankind cannot do for themselves. Be righteous and be holy. Jesus comes, He lives on earth and does not sin. Then, undeserving of death, He is slain on the cross. And He rises again on the third day because He cannot stay dead because He is pure and righteous, so he cannot stay dead. He rises again. And then he, as a free gift to anyone who puts their hands up and says, God, please, for me, he then gives them their, his righteousness. He imputes on them, and we are justified. And he no longer counts our sins against us. Enemies of God, and he reaches out, he sacrifices his life, and He gives us a free gift of a home in heaven for eternity with the Father. 
That is grace. That is a story of grace. That God would do that for sinners. Now you're probably going, that's a great story. I'm so glad I've got His grace. I'm going to do my best to be a good little boy or girl now. But you see, that's not where the power of grace lies. When, when, when it's just about me receiving God's grace, I've made it about me, and there's no power in me. The power is in the God of grace. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, his primary purpose, his first and foremost purpose in dying on the cross was not to save us. It was to display the glory of God. And we make it about us. Oh, yes, Jesus, save me, save me. Yes, he did die on the cross to save us. He 100% he saved us on the cross by his death and his resurrection. But his primary purpose was the glory of God. He came to display and say, look at what this God will do for sinners. Look at the God of grace. The grace will come to you. The mercy will come to you. But if we don't see the God of grace, we lose the power of grace. Everything that Jesus did was for the glory of the Father. First and foremost, His primary purpose is always the glory of God. We read in Peter now that Jesus was chosen to die on the cross before the creation of the world. He was chosen to die on the cross before the creation of the world. You know what that tells us? The cross, when Jesus dies and rose again, God had chosen that as the ultimate billboard of His display of His love and grace to the world out there. He had designed it. He designed us when he made the world, which he didn't have to make. He made us to enjoy him. He doesn't need us. He was 100% happy in heaven with the, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, all 100% happy, got their angels, it's lacquer. Let's create human beings with the capacity to enjoy God. Great idea. How are we going to show them this God? How are we going to reveal ourselves to these little human beings that we've created? Well, Romans tells us God made creation. And we can see and know, and we can see God and experience God in creation. Romans 1 tells us that. Or everyone is without excuse because God has revealed himself through creation. But then he said, wait, wait, there's a better way. There's a better way. Let me, the king of the world, sacrifice my life for my people. Because when a king gives his life for his people, it says more about the king than it does about the people. But unfortunately, we've made so much of this about us and what we can do and our salvation and we just want it for us, we lose the power of grace. Because 
grace, it's not the grace of God so much as the God of grace. That's where our power lies. And when, that, when we can understand that, when we can understand that this God who would sacrifice His life for us is the God that I can know through being obedient or experience through being obedient, wow, I want to be obedient. Then I want to do these things. I want to position myself in a place where I can experience God. Now, we cannot know God without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that's where our faith starts. But it continues of continuously experiencing God. And when God is my greatest delight, when God is the person who I really want to experience and know, when that's the God of grace, and I wake up in the morning, I go, that God, I want to know that God. Then I start to say, how can I know that God? Well, I can know that God by positioning myself. Then I will do the things I need to do to know that God. I will say no to that extra drink that I don't need that's going to take me on the wrong side of a party. I can say no to that pop-up on your cell phone that says, look at this. No, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. Why? Because I will choose to position myself in a place where I can experience God. Because the pleasure of knowing God is greater than any pleasure of sin. Now, let's not fool ourselves. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is nice. It's like, it's kiff, you know? If it wasn't nice, we wouldn't sin. The, the long-term consequences are not nice. But in its little package with little golden, like, chocolate balls and things, we all want, and we all look, and it looks really nice. Sin is nice. And we need to be honest about it and say, that is nice. But God is better. Because He's the God of grace. He's the God who sacrificed His life for me. If anyone would do that for me, a sinner, not deserving it, wow, this stuff's like rubbish. I want to know God. The problem is, and here's the, here's the, the, the crux, the problem is, we are too easily satisfied. We don't hunger for the really good stuff. We're quite happy to play in the gutter making little mud pies instead of going into the glorious toy shop to do whatever we want with the, with the, the goodness of God. Oh, wow, I just love all the my little thingies. No. When we understand the grace of God and the God of grace, and if He is our delight, if He is our joy, then I will choose, I will happily choose righteousness over sin. But we're so easily satisfied. Oh, all I want in this life is a big car and a nice house and a happy family, and then I'm happy. 
Is that the one you want? Well, God gave his life for you to have a whole lot more than that. He gave his whole life for you to experience him through communion of talking to him. And so it, when, when he becomes our delight, it becomes easy, easy, yeah, all right, to, to get up in the morning and say, you know what, I, I don't need to sleep 20 minutes, I'm going to spend my time with God. You know what? It's a bad time now. But I'm going to go pray. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. Because there is a blessing in that room that far supersedes any other blessing that might be coming my way. And our lives change. And Jesus in this is our supreme example in this. Jesus, when faced with the cross... When he was there and he was saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. Hebrews 12 verse 2 tells us, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. For the joy of being obedient to his father, even when it was not nice, endured the cross. Jesus understood the God of grace, his Father. Jesus understood that to obey, it's it's just a hundred times better than to do the wrong thing. Jesus understood it. It was his motivation in going to the cross. For the joy of obeying the Father, he went to the cross. Surely, if our minds could begin to comprehend in greater ways the God of grace, then this verse becomes true in our lives, that the grace of God and the God of grace that brings salvation and that has appeared to all men teaches us to say no to ungodliness and gives us and leads us to self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. When we can and do See God, the God of grace, and we stop just grabbing on grace for our own lives. So, how do we do this? I want to end with two points. Because the moment we make it about ourselves, having to pay Jesus back and I've got to do this. We fall into that same trap again of making it all about us. The first thing is we need to live the life of faith or we need to live. The same faith that saved us is the same faith that we live by. Same faith that saved you is the same faith we live by. What faith saved you? It was the faith that said, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't do this, Jesus. I can't get to heaven on my own. 
but you can. And I, I love you, so God, save me. That's how we're saved. No one quibbles that. We're saved by the work of Christ. And all that we need to do in order to be saved is to say, I can't, but God has. God, please do it in my life. That's how we're saved. The guy on the cross, it's all he said to Jesus. Jesus, I can't do this. But when you get there, remember me. That's how we're saved. How do we live? We live in the same way. We live by saying, God, I can't live righteously on my own. This is not about me. This is not about me being self-controlled enough. This is not about my like, measures that I'm like, in, like, managing my life in such a way that I'm righteous and perfect and good. No. God, I'm a sinful being. I'm your child. You are changing me day by day. And today, today I need to see more of you that I hunger for more of you, that I seek more of you, work in my life. Give me the strength to choose correctly today. We cannot now assume that just because we are God's children, we have to do it all in our own strength and be all right and good. Yes, God wants us to be right and good because then we experience more of Him and we grow, more, and we grow closer to Him and we bring more glory to Him. So yes, He wants us to live righteously. But he wants us to do it by his strength. With a deep passion in our heart and a deep hunger for his glory. Because we delight in him more than anything else in this world. That's what it was when you were saved. You said, God, I delight in you and I want you for the rest of my life. That's how I live today. 20 years, 40 years, 50 years on. That's still how we live our, our Christian walk. God, you are my greatest delight. Give me your strength to live righteously today. He does not expect you to live righteously on your own. He is your strength. He is your power when He is our delight. And that's what we're seeking. And I want to close with one verse. Because sometimes we say, you know, God, I just can't. I just can't. I, it's like, it's just, the temptation is too strong. I just have to keep, and we, we keep making bad decisions. I want to close with Paul, who was also faced with a difficult decision. We read in 2 Corinthians 12, and Paul is talking about God had done some amazing work in his life, and he said, to, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, we don't really know what that was. Was it a physical ailment that was breaking him down? Was it a, someone who kept coming to make trouble with him. But whatever it was that was, was leading him to turn his face away from God, it was a not a nice thing. It was leading him to, to some kind of sinful, difficult situation in his life. Maybe it was um, something that just 
he just, he just couldn't have peace. He just was continuously stressed, continuously worried, continuously fearful. Whatever sinful thing kept coming back at him, we're not sure. But three times he said, God, take this thing away from me. I don't want to be tempted by sin. Listen to God's response. Paul says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My grace, the God of grace, the giver of grace, grace embodied in the king of this universe, the great I am, grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Look to the God of grace and experience the delight of intimacy with the God of grace that is sufficient for you. Your victory will come by experiencing the God of grace. And so, wherever you are in your life, we're all, none of us are perfect. Only in heaven, I really do believe, only in heaven will we be perfect and not be challenged with even desires, sinful desires jealous desires. Only in heaven will we be completely free from anxiety and fear. Only in heaven will we be completely free of frustration that makes us say horrible and silly things to people. So we're all on this journey. This applies to every single one of us. How can we live better for the glory of God and it boils down to us looking again to the God of grace and making Him our ultimate delight. Because when God is our delight, then the grace of knowing God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We have the power through Christ in us. Let's turn our eyes again to the God of grace. Let's fix our eyes on the God of grace. And when we just can't, God says, just, just start looking at my grace. Just start. My grace is sufficient for you. I will woo you back to that place. Let's pray together. Taste, if you guys want to come, we're going to sing together in a moment. That God takes us back to that place. But Lord Jesus, we, we recognize that you are a great and good and glorious and holy God. And, and there is no greater joy than to know you and to be obedient to you. And to experience you. There's nothing. There's nothing that compares to that. 
And we know that we experience you when we are obedient. But it's difficult, Jesus. It's difficult. Help us to come back to the cross with abounding, abounding, abounding grace just, just blows us away every time. Help us to not run on our own, but to always just come back to the cross and to find your grace and to find the God of grace. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to sing just a song together, and I, I want to just encourage you to, again, come back and kneel at the cross of Christ, the place of grace, and just, again, enjoy God. He is our strength to overcome. But I know sometimes we get stuck. We think, I can't come to God until I've dealt with this one issue in my life. When I've got this one under wraps, then I'll come back to God and God will, then I'll walk well, well with God again. And that's not the way it works. Grace starts with us bringing our difficulties, our struggles. We, that's what we bring to God. And, and He turns our ashes, the gunk, into beauty. And so, as we just close with the song and, I, and everyone just reflects in their own lives, if there's someone who really just has a, man, there's that thing, there, there's that anxiety, you just, you can't shake it. There's that, that habit, you just can't shake it. And you, you're just needing someone to help you look again to the cross of grace. Then we'd love to help you. We'd love to chat it through with you, pray it through with you, until we can once again look and see the God of grace in the cross of Christ. And so as we're singing, if, if, if you're just needing someone to help you process that, why don't you come to the front so we can just know that and pray with you. Otherwise, we're going to end with a song, and I want to encourage you to look again to the cross of Christ as your strength to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. And let us go and live for the glory of God. Thanks, Tess.
Father God, thank you for all your goodness and all your grace. Help us to live in that place close to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. There's coffee at the back. There's other coffee at the other back. If, you, if it's your first time with us, please make sure you get a free cappuccino to say welcome and have a lovely day. <laughs>